This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. At Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. Today's podcast answers that age-old question, what's it really like herding cats? <laughs> well, a physician strolled into my office late one afternoon, and as he plopped it down in a chair, looking over at my rather exasperated face, he said with a wry smile, it's a lot like herding cats, isn't it? I looked up a bit quizzically, and he said, your job, it's a lot like herding cats. Now, it was a good laugh for the end of the day. That happened more than 20 years ago, but I always recall it in part because it was the first time I'd heard that phrase. One so commonly repeated today, it's very much a cliche, as well as one of the few times a physician acknowledged that sitting at the head of the table of a medical group was indeed a very challenging role. Well, that challenge continues today. Whether you're a non-physician as I am or a physician executive, I often find among physicians that as soon as that comma MD in your name is followed by a comma president, you suddenly become one of them, only slightly less reviled as those non-physicians such as I in that job. So how do you herd cats? Well, I've spent more than 30 years now doing just that, and although I'm decidedly a dog person, I derive great pleasure in herding physician cats. My reasoning is simple. Generally speaking, I do it well because unlike many leaders in medical groups, I always understood the difference between those who care for the patients and myself, and I always realized that first and foremost, patient care was our mission, our reason for existing. That perspective has served me well as I approach medical group leadership, not as a manager, but really more as a coach. Good coaches, you understand, they realize they can't do what those they coach do, or at least they can't do it as well. So they learn that their role is to simply help those they're coaching to do the very best they possibly can. But I don't want to get too far in front of myself here. I want to address a somewhat basic premise. As much as I've enjoyed that cat herder moniker and the work, I find it too often today has become untrue to its basic meaning. I've seen presentations and articles by countless healthcare and medical experts who tongue-in-cheek use the cat herder's phrase, but then begin their presentations or commentary with these two words. Are you ready? All physicians. And then some further cliche about all physicians needing or wanting the same thing. You see, herding cats is perceived to be a challenge precisely because all cats, just like all physicians, well, they don't want the same thing. Cats are frustrating because they all want something different. And day to day, one may still choose to differ further yet. And friends, therein lies the challenge and I might say, the opportunity. For me, the opportunity to be a successful cat herder and a successful coach has meant three things. First, making sure physicians have the resources they need and want to practice their very best. Two, helping physicians have the practice they actually want. And three, helping them have the lifestyle they want. So what resources go into having a successful and happy medical practice? In most cases, it's 
pretty simple, certainly in some uh, super, super subspecialties where certain types of very specialized equipment are required. It's different. But in most practices, really the most important thing is quality staff, people who know how to do their jobs and know how to support the physician so the physician can do his or her job. Then it's the ability to place orders easily and appropriately that the equipment you have works, functions, and that you have supplies you can count on. It's really pretty straightforward in terms of meeting basic objectives. Then the next question, and maybe a little bit the harder question, is how do you help physicians have the practice they want? Want is a different perspective. It's a little bit trickier. Physicians have a tendency to approach practice development in terms of unlocking the door to their office and waiting for someone to walk in. However, whether you're an independent practitioner or you work in a large medical organization, you can influence, if not outright control, the type of practice you have. Let me give you an example. Many physicians are very interested in working with geriatric patients. On the other hand, Many physicians are very interested in not working with geriatric patients. Well, if you're under the same umbrella, you know, within the same organization, there's nothing wrong with trying to move patients so that the physician who wishes to have a geriatric practice may accept more patients that are elderly, whereas the physician who prefers to have a younger practice can certainly trade off with that other physician for other patients. It's not as difficult as it sounds. It's a function of communicating effectively with patients and presenting them with the value proposition that this other physician is more focused and specialized on their very special needs. And lastly, lifestyle. Well, lifestyle is very often purely a function of time and time management. Today, particularly with a, a practice where a physician is an employee, there is a very, very rigid schedule. The question is, does it need to be? The question is, is there not some flexibility that you can build into a schedule or at least into a weekly schedule that allows a physician some personal time to do things for themselves, things they want to accomplish? And I say, can you as a question? Well, the answer is, yes, you can if you're willing to. It's not always an easy task to literally build a practice around a physician, but it's certainly something that you can achieve. And you have to begin by recognizing that each physician in your group, on your team, is a star player. And they're an individual whose success you can help and support. Simultaneously, you and your physicians have to have a very candid conversation about the definition of medical practice. And I'm not talking about clinical quality or clinical care. I'm talking about the management of the process of patient management. The issue with that is simple to define, but extraordinarily challenging to affect. It is this, a highly intelligent, highly trained work team that functions effectively on an assembly line and has to be able to produce at a certain rate in order to create the economic balance necessary for a successful medical practice. You couple that environment with a delivery mechanism where there is virtually no price elasticity and costs are extremely difficult to affect in a downward fashion, and 
you start to see the conundrum. I say this not to create barriers to building a successful medical practice that is really a happy and successful place for physicians to work. Rather, I say it because absent bringing all these things to the table and absent bringing all the parties to the table to openly discuss them, it's much, much more difficult to affect a positive outcome and result. On the other hand, if you do address all these issues, if you are candid and transparent about the economic requirements of the practice, coupled with the desires, wishes, needs of the physicians, you can strike a balance. That, I assure you. With that said, let me put it into context of my somewhat uh, deluded perception of today's definition of the cat herder mentality. Today, that would mean sitting down with a group of physicians and saying, well, everyone's going to get this, or we're going to make this change for everyone. Well, that's counterproductive, because the other critical element of creating that personalized medical practice, so to speak, that other element is recognizing the individuality of each physician. We are all motivated by different things. In my work, I regularly use a behavioral measurement instrument called the Berkman Method. This instrument measures and categorizes behavioral motivating factors and needs. What it does for me and for my clients is this. It displays with clear metrics just how different physicians are, how different one orthopedic surgeon may be from another orthopedic surgeon, and it can even be used to plot the behavioral differences of an entire medical group. I also find it interesting when presenting questionnaire results to a client when they hear some behavioral characteristics such as maybe a, a need to exert control over their schedules and they ask, well, doesn't everybody? Well, no, everybody doesn't because there is no such thing as all physicians except they are all different. Different people, different physicians, you, for example, you are motivated by different things from other people you know and from other people in your practice. So what, some might say? Well, the what, the why, is this important, is that when you're motivated, you work better. It's that simple. You're happier and you feel more successful. I could spin this out and talk about risk management and the value of people who are dedicated and involved in their work and that they are less likely to make errors and mistakes, therefore reducing liability. There are studies after studies and factors after factors that show that happy people in their workplace tend to be more successful and tend to perform much better. They also are going to stay in that workplace longer. Retention is improved as well. So think about it. Herding cats. Would anyone conduct a seminar or a presentation on how to make your CEO happy? how to make your chief financial officer happy, what every vice president of medical affairs wants, that would just be absurd, ridiculous. These people are individuals. Their work life is significantly predicated on their personalities, not the other way around. But as a physician, you're treated like a number. Again, all physicians, you're all alike, commodities. Well, that's wrong, just plain wrong wrong. I'll tell you a story. I once worked in a very small newspaper, and at that paper I had two equally talented advertising salespeople. Now, is anyone any more stereotyped 
than salespeople? I think not. However, what I observed was that one of my salesmen never seemed quite happy with the amount of his commission. It really didn't matter how much it was. He always seemed to take the commission check and just sort of sneer and walk away. On the other hand, the second fellow didn't really seem to care. Again, no matter what it was, he didn't seem particularly excited. He wasn't disappointed. It was just there after all. So after a while, I sat down with both of them, and I, and I asked them what they thought of our commission system. The first person I described to you, his comment to me was this. It's a joke. It doesn't represent all the work I do, all the effort that I put out. You know, all the time that I spend working with people and, and bringing them along so that they'll be good, good customers, good clients. The other fellow, on the other hand, said, well, I don't really care. I'm just not really that motivated by the money. He said it was more of a distraction, actually, than a motivator. He said, in fact, his time meant far more to him than money, and that he would find it much more motivating if he earned extra time off rather than a cash commission. Aha! These were indeed cats. Cats as different as night and day. Each one was motivated by an entirely and very different outcome. So what did I do? Well, I'm sure you're already answering what I did. I took what was effectively a commission pool generated by their sales, and I nearly doubled the commission rate for the first person. And I created a sales level for time off for the other. Suddenly, both were happy, and I was actually over budget on sales and under budget on commissions, which then allowed me to create more special promotions that made everyone even happier. This one hits a little bit closer to home. This one is about a major health system, and this is a true story. In order to address physician satisfaction and burnout, and maybe I should say physician dissatisfaction and burnout, they devised this program. Because they realized that all the charting, the meetings, and the things outside of actual patient care were taking extra time, they created two programs or resources to help physicians with their time management. First, they created what you might call a Meals on Wheels program to take meals to physicians' homes so they didn't have to worry about cooking. Secondly, they created a laundry drop-off for their doctors at the hospital. Wow. How great is that? Physicians were upset about the long hours. So this innovative, highly rated health system was this. We'll make it easier for our doctors to stay at work. Really? Their solution was not to address the long hours. It wasn't to make it easier for physicians to get the work done. It was to make it easier for them to demand long hours. One size, period. It fits or you can quit. Today, changes in healthcare delivery and reimbursement, while frightening or aggravating to some, well, they actually represent a significant opportunity for physician management and physician staffing. Pay for production, how physicians have been paid since the days of Hippocrates, is shifting to payment for outcomes, payment for managing patients more effectively. What that means is the future's premium will be more on keeping patients healthy rather than on simply intervening when they're ill. 
By removing the production expectations from physicians, an entire set of doors open for physicians to treat patients in different ways and even from different places. I have an old client who joked with me about his extreme efforts to find a dentist or even a hairstylist who works on Sundays. Well, if you can treat some of your patients from your smartphone and your EHR is also available online, why do you need to be in your office? That's just one example of payment for prevention rather than intervention. But even interventions may soon be manageable at a distance. You may not yet be operating on patients remotely, but think about it. You're operating on patients without touching the patient. You're at a control module. You're at a control panel working a joystick in order to perform surgery. So being able to translate that from within four walls to the virtual world is really just a function of bandwidth. And you may find that in the future, you and your robot will be doing some procedures from the comfort of your home. It's really not that far away. And one primary care physician will be able to remotely direct the examinations being conducted by five or 10, perhaps 15 mid-level providers, all from the comfort of her living room. Think remote monitors, camera, sound access, the ability to control equipment. You're ready to respond to any question or offer any advice that's necessary. The greatest barriers today to remote medicine are really payers. It's not the technology and it's not the interest. This has been the story since I entered healthcare. Literally, decades ago, I listened to physicians complain about having to keep patients in the hospital for no reason other than that was what the insurance company required for payment. It had nothing to do with medical reasons. It had nothing to do with their medical judgment. Actually, I recall those same physicians saying that they believed, genuinely, the patients would recover better at home than in the hospital. And I think you would probably all agree with that. Form follows finance, however. And for now, finance is keeping physicians in their offices. But, well, that's a story for a different day. So if you're serious about herding cats, you'll appreciate that every cat is different, and one-size-fits-all solutions actually end up fitting no one. Becoming a real cat herder, well, it does take creativity, engagement, patience, and it certainly demands group involvement if you're really going to change a group. The conversation may begin top-down, but it will only progress if drivers emerge from the physicians actually providing the care. When it's time for you to have that conversation, don't be surprised if your initial meetings are pretty quiet and perhaps met with some disdain, and don't expect a litany of great revelations. First meetings will often begin by airing some criticism, like my salesman who simply called my commission system a joke. And don't expect to be offered that clear diagnosis of the problem. After all, you're the executive, and you should be the big-picture expert. What you should expect is symptoms. Symptoms of what is not working. Symptoms of what is frustrating. And hopefully some symptoms that begin with why or why not. It's your job to take those symptoms and turn them into a diagnosis. Actually, a group of diagnoses that can be individualized for each physician in your group. When you do this, you will have fundamentally changed how your group administers the practice of medicine, and you will have created a much happier and much more successful workplace. Who knows? 
After all the pain and frustration of the process, you may actually be happier as well. And if you need some help with this program, let me know. As always, I'm happy to speak with you. You can contact me at 720-339-3585 for voice, message, or text. For Third Evolution, this is Bob Pretty. Thanks for listening.